0: They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I would tend to agree in most cases. They say when my producer of whiskey business, Greg Hansberry is on the air, that he sounds like me. I don't find that flattering as much as I do disturbing. And then I feel bad for him. Don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled to have the job I have, but let's be honest. One of me is plenty, but I digress. These little soliloquies that open every podcast, these little whiskey-induced monologues stylistically are an homage to my guest this evening, who we'll talk to in just a minute. But that's how it works, right? You sometimes unconsciously learn from the best. Maybe not try to be them, but if you can somehow keep alive a style or a passion for something while putting your own twist on it to make it your own. That's how good stuff happens, people. I'm Dino Tripotis, and welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. And tonight's guest bottle is a first and a whiskey business departure as it comes from Watershed Distillery right here in Columbus, Ohio. And it's all because of my special guest, so it will explain itself here in just a minute as we welcome Fritz Perenboom, a.k.a. Fritz the Night Owl, a legendary figure in Columbus, Ohio, broadcasting with fans literally worldwide who know him as Fritz the Night Owl. What a treat for our listeners. Welcome,
1: Fritz. A hey, pleasure. Greetings, good groovers, 14 viewers out there in the darkness. Your voice of the night, Fritz the Night Owl. And thank you, Dino, 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 for having me on. And you had to explain what a podcast be- was because I am in pre-Internet 101. Mm-hmm. My granddaughters are explaining to me all of these different things, and uh, it's It is a delight to be here.
0: Isn't it nice, though, that you are still around to experience something new in the world of broadcasting,
1: like a podcast? It it is amazing. And, you know, going back real quickly to your business about how people influence you, Mm -hmm. it's I got my style and what it was from the people that I listened to on radio back in the days when there was no television. And I always wanted to be a radio announcer. My voice changed at about... uh, Oh, seventh grade. So you sounded like this in the seventh grade? Pretty much. So a little wow, bit. Wow, that's that, pretty cool. That, that's <laughs> minus the cigarette. That's minus the, the unfiltered uh, camels and and uh, booze. But uh, I used to listen to these radio guys, and I absorbed things from them. And I didn't try to imitate the sound of their voice, but I would pick up unconsciously on their phrasing. What would they? Punch. What would they throw away? Where would they pause? And so forth. Like, and then I would filter it through me. And so what I did ultimately came up with my with with the Fritz style. Mm-hmm. So
0: you're kind of uh, explaining the point I just made. I mean, yeah, I don't precisely. try to sound like Fritz the Night Owl, but those words, the crafting of the words, and getting that and painting that picture and that image in the beginning of each of these podcasts. I, I think I unconsciously got that from you from watching uh, so many uh, installments of Night Out Theater, which we'll get to here in just a moment. I also want to introduce um, Mike McGrainer, who is the director and uh, creator of the current uh, incarnation of Night Out Theater. Michael, welcome to the show as well. As, Thank you, uh, Dino. Nice to have you here. Mike and I go way back to. to when I was 16 years old. Yeah, way, way back. First of all, let's clear up the whiskey business portion of this show, and then we can move on to everything else, okay? Um, When I met you, you expressed a fondness for gin. The name of this podcast is Whiskey Business. The only running theme in this podcast is that we share a different whiskey every week as we engage in conversation. But to accommodate you, my friend, I went and got a gin that is... um, aged in bourbon barrels that's the bourbon barrel gin from watershed distillery, so as you can see, the color is a little mm-hmm. a little brown, a little bit amber. it spent some time in those bourbon in those bourbon casks and uh it it's actually it's actually
1: quite delicious oh it is uh for years and years and years, my late wife and I drank only gin, and we found out how far down the bottom of the barrel we were was one time she we all, she'd put the gin in the freezer and I'd come home from work from doing the afternoon radio show at BNS AM when they played music on AM radio and we have a, mar, a martini with gin and I came home one day and I said, Babe, this is the best martini you've ever made and she said, Well, We ran out of vermouth three days ago, so we were just so. From then on, ours was we'd go to a restaurant and we'd order a a martini. We'd say, "Hold the hold the vermouth," (laughs) and uh, so we knew. Okay, we're drinking straight gin. The British call it mother's ruin. Yes, you know they do. Yes, they do. So we'd be drinking the mother's ruin straight on the rocks, and for years and years and years and years, uh, I drank gin, and then I slowly, but I also my, my. half Sicilian and my grandfather used to make wine in the basement so we had wine as a kid from five years on we always had I always had red wine at uh, lunch and dinner so uh, uh, booze wise and then my uh, my other grandfather used to have beer delivered to his house And, and in the city he lived in Appleton Wisconsin this brewery george walters would deliver cases of beer just like the milkman delivered the milk and you'd put em- out your empty cartons of bottles and a little note to the beer man i want two cases one case etc <laughs> would
0: you get would you get beer delivered as often as milk came or which which came more no. beer or milk <laughs> uh, grandpa
1: uh, grandpa he uh, his, his he had we had more beer. He had more beer than milk. I mean, we he only had milk when uh, my brothers and my mother and my father were visiting. But um, well, I had, plus the milk my grandmother used to cook with. So I've been drinking for since grade. Well, since about five or six that I can remember.
0: It goes back to my my favorite quote. You you don't drink compulsively. You've been drinking consistently. Yeah, and there's a difference. Right. 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 <laughs>
1: My father was a career army officer, so he had to entertain a lot, and he shows us the booze cabinet, my two brothers and I, my older brother, and, younger, and he said, you know, this is the booze, he said, it is never locked, anytime you want it, you just go take what you want. The only restriction is, you cannot do it when your friends are here, nor can you give it to any of your friends. And that was... Uh, that was the rule, did you follow it? That was the colonel, yeah. Okay, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, you don't, you don't argue with the iron colonel. You, you don't
0: argue with the colonel and it also shows respect for your for your adults and also respect for the I, I appreciate when people have rules uh of of boozin that make sense. Mm-hmm. And that was that was one that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I have my rules. I, I, I when I found out that there might be some some conflict as respects to well does he like gin or does he like vodka I already I already I told McGrainer, I said, you know what? My rule is We've got to stay true to whiskey business on some level. This is in bourbon barrels, so forgive me, whiskey business purists, but I think I'm covering both bases here, absolutely. And we are going to drink from this bottle tonight. Yeah, it's it, it, terrific, yeah. Well, it's got a. Do you like it, because, Mikey, you don't oh, like yeah. gin. It tastes like a hint of cinnamon. To yes, a cinnamon yeah. in the beginning and a little cinnamon in the in the aftertaste. It's, yeah, what it's, I don't like is the pine of gin. That's yeah. why I don't I don't like bad gin, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's distilled from corn. Uh, the gin is, and then it's got the, uh, it's got it's got a nice, bold. Uh, snap to in the beginning um it's i'm gonna use the word lively it's it's lively right out of the gate yes indeed and it's got a nice finish so uh kudos to the watershed distillery um for combining two worlds and 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 making a pretty good bottle we're gonna have them on whiskey business at some point to talk about how they actually make their their whiskey Mm -hmm. their uh they're, they're real bread and butter, but this is pretty good. And it's a small batch. This is batch number 30, so,
1: you know. At, at the risk of sounding like a heretic, one of my favorite <laughs> lines is, you know that there's a god when somehow or another he inspired somebody to stomp on those juniper berries yes. and let them ferment and turn it into gin. Exactly,
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't think you sound like a heretic at all. That yeah, sounds good. pretty darn accurate as far as I'm concerned. I'm gonna go back a ways uh, to try to set this up, and people, if you're listening, you probably have or have had someone like Fritz in your life. For me, growing up in the Steubenville, Ohio area, um, every Friday night, there was Chiller Theater with uh, Bill Cardill, Chili Cardilly. Chili Billy. Yeah. He was a TV horror movie host of of a lot of local fame and renown. And that was a treat for me. If My mom let me go stay at Tony Zaitis' house overnight to stay up and watch Chiller Theater. That was an evening all on its own. So I remember those days. And then I come to Columbus, Ohio in 1977, I believe. And... Um, there's some afternoon television, and there's a lot of guys doing afternoon movies, but then there's this other really cool, different guy on at nighttime who's hosting really good movies, some not so great, but good, a lot of times good movies during the week, and then uh, some horror films on the weekend. And that guy was you.
1: Right, right, right.
0: Fritz the Night Owl. I mean, you were doing stuff
1: back then. Well, what was the, what was the run of Night Out? It started when it started in um, the fall of 1974 and ran till uh, 91 and a half. Yeah, June nice run. 91 and a half. Yeah, seven nice nights, run. seven nights a week. Right. I should say.
2: I would like to add for the math majors that's six thousand two hundred
0: five consecutive broadcasts. That's pretty cool. That's a that's a big number. Now, obviously, I didn't see all of them, but that was a staple for us in the dorms you know we would watch whatever you did and part of the reason we watched is you always had cool openings you know you you would you would craft your words and as i said earlier paint a picture but then you would do things um that we had not seen late night movie hosts do i mean i remember chilly billy was just he had a great personality he was very gregarious and he was fun and he was funny but you were doing stuff you were doing special effects with movies and adding a a spin to them that i had not seen at that point and that made it even more enjoyable to watch to see what you would come up with because you did some crazy far-fetched how's he doing it that was the thing how's he doing that it was stuff that we were watching and, and saying, how's, how's he doing that? Now, did you come up with all that stuff?
1: I learned about the special effects business when I, when I was in the Army. And um, we would, uh, I would write, narrate, act in Army training films, promotional and training films. Like the VD films? Well, the VD films and the uh, how to put stamps in a machine, how to get a Coke out of a machine, how to... Fix your rifle and so forth. And, I and was the in, VD movies? And the VD movies. <laughs> the, the, o- the only one that had me queasy was when we had to do the thing on getting shot in the stomach. Oh. Oh. Because, I mean, that was a thing like they showed you actual footage of it, stock footage from World War II and... Things like that, and I. So it was
0: your, a what to do in case you get shot in the stomach movie. Yeah.
1: Well, what you what other you, than what you you do, know cover.
0: other but, than die.
1: <laughs> yeah, what you do and what uh, your compadres do oh. to to help you, and but uh, I mean to say that one, all of us that worked on that one, we sort of when we left the Army Pictorial Center in uh, new york city we were all sort of uh, groggy and staggering around and debating should we head for the head or are we going to make it across the street to the barracks oh wow and uh, everything so but i learned there and, and it at that time only steve Al, uh, only steve allen and ernie kovacs were using the special effects of television and we were using them in the army and uh, i just thought if, if I ever get into television, I'm going to do, I'm not going to have like a standard set where everything is the same. It's going to be something related to the movie. Like if, if Bill Cosby and Sidney Poitier are standing on a, a, the, the ledge of a building, I'm going to come out of the window and talk to the two of them. And so everything I did on Night Owl was related in some way to the movie. And then, of course, I'd been a DJ in Columbus since 1959. And of course, in those days, remember, there was there was only five, there were only, uh, well, when we started, there were four stations in Columbus before cable. There was uh, Channel 4, 6, and 10, and, and uh, Channel 34, and then later, 28 came on. So um, at night, I had to compete with Johnny Carson on NBC. I had to compete with uh, Nightline on ABC. Thirty-four signed off early, and then I had night hours who, seven nights a week.
0: For the record, I will state, and it's documented. In fact, at, at certain nights, especially on Friday nights, you yeah. soundly beat Carson. those guys, Carson yeah. and, mm-hmm. and and Nightline, and people in the Columbus area. People were
1: watching you more than they were watching well, that was them. A, that was because our program director John Haldy was brilliant, and he figured, okay, kids who are in like fourth and fifth grade, they can't stay up until two three in the morning to watch a movie on television but on friday night they can so we'll put on uh, friday night was the only consistent night it was either horror sci-fi comic book hero all under the banner of chiller theater i mean we showed movies like psycho as part of a chiller theater we showed the uh, uh charles manson murders which was a tv special parts one and two was and we showed like uh, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and this, uh, brain, hit, they saved Hitler's brain. And uh, so our version of Chiller wasn't just the, the rubber monsters and the ETs. Chiller for us covered um, all kinds of things, really, even, even some Hitchcock stuff and uh, other movies. So
0: you had a lot to choose from yeah, in order, yeah.
1: under that banner. But I must admit, I never had a script and all of those things. Everything was like in radio. It was all ad lib just from what was happening right at the moment and was the muse with me to do the stuff. And most of the time she wasn't. If it wasn't, I'd say, we'll get back to Ride Out for Revenge with <laughs> yeah. Dino Two us after these words. And then the commercials would run, movie would go back, and uh, yeah. I'd say, well, may the, may the muse be with me. But see, like when I was started in radio, it there there was no formula radio. It was like at BNS, it was play what you want, say what you want. Play what you want. Play what you play want. Play what you want. Say what you want. How? Just get all the commercials in and hit the CBS news at the top of the hour.
0: Hansbury, could you imagine if I was allowed to play what I want? Every
1: morning. <laughs> no, I mean, I, c- I could play Dean Martin, followed by Miles Davis, followed by Kate Smith, followed by Guns N' Roses, followed by Dean uh, Frank Sinatra, Oh sure. Peggy Lee, anybody that wow. I wanted, lo- and all of the DJs at BNS could do this. You probably know
0: exactly when it happened. You can tell me. All of a sudden, they created this position at the radio station called a, a program director who put together a playlist mm-hmm. and, and told you what to play. Yeah. That's, yeah. Were you in radio at that particular point when that shift
1: happened? Yeah, it wasn't until about 1970 that Formula Radio and consultants came in and... Uh, consultants. Consultants. Uh. And we, we had one We had one. So did we, Fritz. That believed... Yeah, I know. But I mean, this guy believed that people didn't listen to radio for more than 15 or 20 minutes at a time, and they always wanted to know when they turned on BNSAM, they were going to hear the favorite songs. He had a 20-song playlist, and it was a thing... We were up on the third floor at 62 East Broad, and they piped the music onto the elevator there, and I would get on that elevator, and I'd hear what was playing, and I knew what song my show was going to start with and what song it was going to end with. And we would do this, go through the 20-song playlist twice per show, six days a week. And um, it, it was... it, From from the old days of where you play what you want, say what you want, uh-huh. this was just... That was one of the reasons I went over to TV was that I figured, you know, a lot of the stuff that he wanted to play, I didn't want to play, but we had to to keep the job. And so when the announcing... Job opened by Channel 10 in '74. I just said I don't want to do the radio anymore, where I don't have any input. I'm just—I'll go over to Channel 10 and and be the booth announcer and get paid for watching television and working a minute and a half out of every half hour. Uh huh. You know, when the network program would end, 28 and a half minutes, the local stations would have a minute and a half where they'd have the local commercials. And they might have, say, like a 25-second preview commercial for a movie, and then you'd hear the guy saying, starts tomorrow at these theaters. And on the slide would be, you know, the Laws, Ohio, and all that. Or, now playing at these theaters. Or we would have a live Kroger commercial where... They would have the 35-millimeter slide of the chicken noodle soup and the lettuce and all of this stuff. And we'd be reading live copy with one eye and looking at the monitor with the other. And we would read those. And then we had to be done in that minute and a half so we could go back to network. But I figured I'd rather do that than play the same 20 records six days a week, twice a day. And from there, it just turned out that my shift happened to fall into the night owl time. And I just decided to, um, instead of, we'll be back in a minute, I thought, you know, all of these guys that, that are the hosts, it's like they're never watching the movie. Mm-hmm. So I just said, well, I'm going to start gabbing about the movie. And I did, and uh, nobody wrote in to complain, and Haldi thought it was great, so that's how he created it. He said, let's put a live Version of Night Owl on and uh, that was it.
0: So like a lot of amazing things that we've come to appreciate over the years It was uh accident an a happy accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing?
1: And, and it was just so because you know what I did back then is now really the Tyrannosaurus Rex of Local broadcasting. Yeah. The only local broadcasters you have now on over-the-air TV are your local newscasters, sportscasters, weathercasters, and the only local programming you have is news, weather, sports, and a public service show every now and then, like a telethon or, a, you know, things like that.
0: It went to 1991, and that's – that's is that is that – do you think – could you feel the shift? Could you feel the, the, the change that was happening where those days were – we slipping by, and something new was coming. Where
1: not really? What happened was uh, the program director at Channel 10, John Haldy, who was a terrific program director. He had to, you know, he had been there for X number of years, and it was time for him to. Re- he retired, and the new guy that they brought in. His first words to me were not, and I had like four Emmys at the time. Mm-hmm. His first words to me were not, I'm glad to meet you or look forward to working. His first words to me was, I want you to know I don't like movies on TV. Wow. And so that was sort of, and then three weeks later, 14 of us were fired. Just like that. Just like that.
0: Okay, so Fritz the Night Owl and Night Owl Theater falls by the wayside. The gentleman to your right Right there mr mike mcgrainer we had worked on some things together and uh approached me about doing a documentary on fritz the night owl when we approached you about that you were reluctant saying that i don't think anybody would care i don't think anybody would want to see that and we uh, repeatedly begged to differ we it was like pulling teeth to get you to initially cooperate with us and then out of that documentary process something else magical happened night owl was reborn largely in credit to mr mike mcgrainer mike so take us through those steps on how we brought night owl back to columbus ohio i had wanted to get into film since i
2: was five and be a director I didn't want to be in front of the camera I wanted to make the stuff and um, as a way of just I'm not the best talker, but there was a way of expressing things' I beg and to so, differ. you talk
0: my ear off yeah but do I, <laughs> but do I say anything <laughs> so <laughs>
2: so I had seen this film that Dino was in with uh, with John Saxon who I loved from horror films. that
0: would be bottom feeders uh, yeah you can look it up people. It is available. you yeah. can buy it. On Amazon.com, it might cost you two or three dollars now, yeah. but you can actually still purchase that film.
2: And Dino played Mr. Plankton McCall, but uh, <clears throat> so I had seen this film and I learned that the film was shot in Columbus, Ohio. Which to me that was crazy. I, I thought they only made films in Hollywood. Just like when I was a kid, I saw Fritz on TV, thought he was in Hollywood. I had no concept that there was a local thing. So I went to this uh, movie premiere and I, I Dino. Uh, With respect to the rest of everyone in that movie, really outshined uh, uh, in that movie, and and I wanted to meet the guy. So, uh, thanks, Mikey. I had written this like five minute scene in this script I wrote because a girl broke my heart, because why do we do anything because of that? So, I had written this five minute scene, and probably the most important character in the film. Uh, that I had written, I believe, uh, a friend of mine used to date Matthew McConaughey. So I had written it for Matthew McConaughey in the days where I thought people could read unsolicited scripts. But anyway. Oh, really? Uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't get it to Matthew? <sighs> well, you know, Dina. Well, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah so, so yeah. you know. I was your I, second choice. So, <laughs> so so Dina was like a little bit more accessible at the moment. But I, uh, yeah, so I gave it to him and he was nice enough to uh, give it a read, considering I was, I think, 18 at the time, actually, by the time I actually met you. But that yeah. film never got made. But I did write something for Dino down the road that we worked on together. But, we uh, did the movie called know. The Funny Man. Yeah. That is sort of how we, we started uh, things. And so uh, I was having a drink with Andy Man at Andy Man's treehouse. Andy Man from CD 101, who uh, actually Fritz had Night Owl Jazz on CD 101 for years. And uh, Andy loved zombie movies. And so we started talking about Fritz the Night Owl and I you know had mentioned to him that I'd love to find the guy I'd love to do a documentary on him and he's like well you need to ask Dino he works in the same building and I just about hit the floor I didn't even know Fritz was here in Columbus mm-hmm. and um so I remember asking you can you give Fritz my number can we do this and yep. uh and Fritz called me in about 2 weeks
0: yeah Fritz and I had a cigarette yeah. out on the back on the back patio over there at the radio yep. station and I kind of pitched it to him and yep. and, he... and D- Dino set everything
2: up and we met at a pizza parlor and uh uh yeah, Fritz, uh, I remember walking in and, and just sort of, you know, all I remembered from you was the glasses, the mustache, and the, you know, the necklaces and the shirts and the crazy. So, you know, I, I walk in there and I see him in a jean jacket and just, you know, no glasses. And I had to kind of scan the room and be like, which one's Fritz? <laughs> and uh, so we sat down. And as soon as you opened your mouth and talked, I knew it was you. But uh, just everything I've done has just been a series of sort of chances, and it's all they always say, you know, you you get through things by word of mouth and who you know, and Dino has been nice enough to be responsible for getting me out of the basement and doing things on the screen. So it's really awesome.
0: Then the documentary – turned into a rebirth of Night Owl Theater. Yeah, so that had happened
2: unexpectedly because we weren't even, that wasn't even a thought in my head. Uh, I mean, it should have been, really, but it was not. No, no, at the time,
0: at the time, we had this great idea for a documentary. And we wanted to do another film. We wanted to do another film and it was going to be, uh, it was going to be, it was going to focus on Fritz, but it was also going to kind of, as far as a B plot, talk about those legendary movie host because every city had one and that's kind right. of kind of the theme that we were going for it's, everybody so, it's sort of a,
2: like a spike lee summer of sam i believe the 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 guy that's the
0: narrator was like you know new york is full of stories and this is one of them right and, and so every city that, had a, you know. a movie host yeah. and everybody had a, a host that they could relate to and we were going to use fritz as that vehicle to kind of uh identify with yeah but at the same time focus on that Career that was night out theater and the legend here in Columbus, Ohio. That is Fritz Perrenboom. I think Fritz thought we were
2: pitching a a biopic at the time because I remember you saying that uh, I think the I think the reason you declined was that There wasn't enough drama that no one would be interested because there was nothing that uh, Was a controversy or scandal that you were involved in I mean uh, and and so it was sort of like you know nowadays people people want that conflict and that's what that's what they want to see they don't want to see a wholesome <laughs> story so i think i remember you passing and then i remember um i think i, I have to thank uh, uh your late wife pat for just you know i believe she told me get him out of the house <laughs> 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 was the uh was the thing and they finally talked you into it after uh our great producer and financier Dino paid for three lunches, and we finally got you to say yes on third lunch. Yeah,
0: <laughs> McGrainer is the creator and director of the current um, version of Night Out Theater. I have the pleasure of being the executive producer. That's a fancy title for paying for everything and occasionally saying no. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I got to be honest, Dino has rarely said no to me on this show, which yeah. means we're doing something right. So. Yeah, we we kind of. Put the documentary on hold When the when the thought process of Bringing Night Owl Theater back In its original form But we can't do it on television So we decide that we will Make it like it would be on television well, And and, exp- and have people experience it In a movie theater
2: And we were just going to do it on the internet And I was seeing a film across town And uh, the owners of the Grandview Theater At the time uh, Got wind already that this series was coming back. Because this spread... I told, like, two people, we really kept this close to the chest, like, can we do this? Is it possible we have green screen? We can kind of recreate it. Do we have the rights? And that's the thing, As we checked, and, and Fritz and I were able to, to copyright the show and the character and everything. So it, it sort of... Uh, thankfully, the, sh- the original Night Owl Theater was at a different time where everything was a handshake with zero contracts. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a cool thing.
0: We didn't have to bring in our lawyers. right. <laughs> Thank right. God, because we had no which, lawyers. Which is funny, because
2: my lawyer was Dino's lawyer at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. As you know, Hansberry, so Hansberry, I always got a guy, yeah. and I always got a right, I got a lawyer for whatever yeah. you need.
2: But doing it on the Internet was going to keep it on a small screen. No matter how big your computer was, you were still at home, and you could watch it with one or two people, and Fritz agreed to that. Uh, when it was offered to us by the people at Grandview Theater when they got wind that we, it was coming back, they said, well, you can. have you ever thought of doing it on the big screen? You can do it on the big screen. We can host it here. And I got a little bit ahead of myself and got very excited. And I called Dino, and we were excited. And then we told Fritz, hey, guess what? You're going to be on the big screen. And no. No. Nope. No. Where, where's the soundbite for that? No. Where's
0: the explosion? Yeah. <laughs> Hansberry can put it in.
1: <laughs> well, it was just a thing that... I didn't think anybody would be other than say close family and maybe some real hardcore fans. I just didn't think anybody would be interested in seeing it. You know, Flippo and I used to talk about this. We'd say, you know, we do a show, we do it as best we can, and when the show is over, that's it. There's no, we don't have to worry about tomorrow, we don't have to worry, I mean, it's...
0: And and I understand you that. Don't, yeah. I understand it from a performance level. Uh, uh, and in level. terms
1: of what we were doing, we knew we were entertaining, we knew people liked us, but we just didn't figure that it was that important, it was just sort of a diversion rather than an important or interesting part of their lives. So I didn't think anybody was gonna show no
0: idea, no idea, over all those years, how many people, how many people you touched, entertained, and how many people remembered
1: and retained those moments right. and those memories. And uh, the fact that when you were watching Night Owl Theater, it was you and your girlfriend, you and your big brother, you and your mom or dad, and so there was me, and the two or three of you in your living room late at night. So I was kind of like doing live radio over television. Right. And there were just three or four of us involved. And I thought, well, boy, in a theater where there's like 100, 200 people that don't know each other, is that intimacy going to be there? And that that was one of the things in our earlier shows we tried to recreate the exact format of it, only the, the voiceover stuff just didn't work.
0: Yeah, and I and that's where I, you know, every once in a while, um, I, I do my job and that's where I <laughs> <laughs> that's where I convinced you that I painted a picture saying that that theater, was just one big couch and even though there are people 200 people in there 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 there's two and three people sitting together and that theater became the big couch and and, and these and,
2: strangers became friends yeah, from the experience of right. being Right. So everybody
0: here. so it became communal in a sense that that theater became one huge couch and everybody was experiencing the same Everyone's thing. Everyone's
2: making out everywhere.
1: <laughs> well, I must say that uh we figured out after about the first two shows, two, three shows, that the the, the voiceover stuff over A Night Owl Slide wasn't working. Mm-mm. And so with the uh, House on Haunted Hill with Vincent yes. Price, we said, okay, we're going to put more Fritz on camera. Yes, great and, idea. And we, we ultimately got away from completely from the voiceovers. And now on all seven breaks, the open, the close, and the the five breaks in between, I'm on camera all the time.
0: And when you came on camera in these latest Thanks you know, to Mike. Inc- inc- incarnations, yeah. People went nuts. Right. Well, they loved
1: of, it. A lot of a lot of the younger people had never seen right. anything like that. And um, everything old
0: is new again, my friend.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How glad I am.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think one of the neatest things about the show currently, and I know we skipped some stuff, but uh, one of the neatest things about this is that people will now the audience will try to peg where he's going to show up because they know that this next break we're going to pull something from the segment you just saw. Right. And so there I'm I'm literally just I'll sit different places at each show and you'll hear people say like, "Oh, I bet they're going to bring him up here." And then sometimes I'll in planning, assume that and do something different. <laughs> different, so just, just so it's kind of this cool. Just to challenge. mess with them.
1: Our segments are completely removed. The film has run as it should, and then our segments are complete separate units leading to the commercials, like in the old days of over-the-air TV when there was three stations on the air that in order to pay for the movies, the stations had to sell commercials, which meant you needed the movie host to break away from the movie to get into the commercial. One
2: of the things we keep hearing, uh, and I have to admit, uh, no insult to Mystery Science Theater, I haven't seen the show, I've, I've watched a few episodes, and I'm actually, I don't watch Mystery Science Theater. People keep thinking when we explain it, oh, is this Mystery Science Theater? There's a huge difference uh, in the fact that we show the movie uncut, and the movie will actually break itself and then come into one of our segments. So never do we talk over the movie. No. The word commentary has been thrown around. It's actually incorrect, because that would mean that Fritz talks during the film. He that does is not true. And Fritz was on over 10 years before Mystery Science Theater started. There you go! Now, the first two seasons, which were all public domain films, it wasn't until a friend of ours named Michael Doherty, who grew up watching Fritz, uh, who directed a, wrote and directed a film called Trick or Treat, and he also did Krampus, and he is now writing and directing Godzilla 2. Uh, Michael, thank was, God, I, yeah, yeah. We, we have we it have might, an ally. It might actually be good. <laughs> we have an ally, director. You know, I wanted to do Michael's movie uh, treatment of his movie with Fritz, and he agreed. Uh, we played phone tag for about six months, and when he finally said go, we had two weeks from that point to watch this film, pick the brakes, and do it. And this is a major film uh, by Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers, and Michael got Legendary to sign off, and so we did it. It's so completely out and saved us, and we uh, we had a good crowd, but this movie changed everything. And then we decided collectively we to, decided to that do we were going to start doing bigger gamble, films and and pay and, and, the and, and pay
0: the rentals and and so forth. And it's on our, on our website you can you can still purchase um, DVDs of a lot of the stuff that we did that was in public domain. Yeah,
2: we actually have Blu-rays coming. uh, Definitive Blu-rays coming out now where each volume will have two of our episodes from the first two seasons and the bonus features you can actually watch two hours of completely newly restored Channel 10 Fritz uh, segments with commentary by Fritz and myself. Yeah, that's
0: pretty cool cool stuff right there. I want to come back to Fritz here for just a, a, a second and actually talk about how the persona, the character, if you will, of Fritz the Night Owl was birthed. I mean, how did that happen? Fritz the Night Owl, um, Mike described him as the hat and the glasses. The glasses are probably uh, as iconic as anything in... Well, locally here in Columbus, the the glasses are iconic, yeah. but they they are definitely, well, when you put them on, you're the night owl.
1: Right, right. Yeah,
0: it, it it's 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 your it's your uh, your Batman when right. you when you put them on. You so know,
1: I don't have to go into a Batcave. Yeah. Nor do I have to go into a phone booth like Superman. and no. just take them out of my. So living.
0: how did that, how did how did that persona come to be?
1: Well, I was the I was what they called the booth announcer at Channel Ten, and I, whenever it was time for a commercial, I would. Uh, on night on, and night owl theater was part of my shift, and they had a we had a terrific artist at to Channel Ten by the name of Dave Wagstaff, and in the old days before I was night owl, they'd have this cartoon of the night owl. If it was a western movie, he'd be dodging bullets or shooting a six shooter or drinking scotch. If it was a war picture, he'd be in a helmet and shells going off. If it was a love picture, he'd be on the couch with these cartoons a la. Uh, still photos but I mean the cartoon when it, the cartoon owl was like if it was a still photo of Bugs Bunny except it was an owl and so when I started to do it after about you know, about a week I said I don't want to just say uh, you're watching such and such with uh, Dino Trebronis would be so I said I'm gonna just start commenting on the movie and I did and I started to comment and people since they knew my voice from radio Assumed this was the voice of the cartoon, and they started to write letters to Fritz the Night Owl, but there, which is, the, I used Fritz on radio, not mm-hmm. the Night Owl, but they started writing to Fritz the Night Owl, and officially the station had no such character. But Haldi... So
0: there you go, another happy accident.
1: Yeah. Haldi, who, as I say, he was a great program director, he said, well, we're getting so much mail on what you do, why don't we create a Fritz the Night Owl? And we went through things like they were talking about an owl suit like the San Diego chicken. <laughs> an owl suit? Like the San Diego yeah. chicken. But, oh. you see, in those days, the booth announcer... You had to be, you had to be so happy it wasn't an owl oh, suit. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> also, what happened was that the booth announcer in those days... Used to have to do live commercials, so while a clown was a symbol of sales, like circus of values and you know, things like that, so flippo could stand next to a, a a new Buick, and it was logical for him to sell it. But for have a owl a guy in a San Diego chicken owl suit standing next to a Cadillac or a DeSoto or right. a Chrysler, the high ticket things the guy couldn't do no, it didn't work. So that was junked and so Haldy said you know John um, um, Elton John was big at the time and between he and Dave Wagstaff they came up with the glasses idea the owl glasses came right off the rack at uh, Revco drugstores you know the spinning sunglass dial yeah. right. or, or thing and uh, Dave Wagstaff bought the glasses for 10 bucks and he made the horns and he broke mirrors on them so that they would reflect into the starburst camera Unpredictably, which the dopers loved, cause they were... <laughs> the dopers, because well, they'd be, they'd, they'd be getting a, they'd be getting a light show and great jazz and a terrific movie all at the same time. Uh, so the Wagst- Wagstaff created the glasses, and um, <laughs> then another friend of mine, Jim Slagle, the late great Jim Slagle, made an exact duplicate pair because the original pair got broke at a oh, he was doing some haunted house thing for, uh, for some charity, I don't know. But somehow they fell off in the darkness and got broke. But I had the Slagle pair, which were an exact duplicate. Uh-huh. So, and the problem was, was people want to do it now. And that frame, which was a Kristen Dior frame, right off the rack at Revco, which is a drugstore like CVS, cost 10 bucks. But now you can't find that frame. So, so
0: now the glasses that you have still are. are yeah. That's it. That's those you, are the new you, can't, you can't reproduce those. No.
1: What year would you say that those glasses premiered on TV? About seventy six. But but you can't but you can't tell the difference. And no. I should I should mention if you see me without the mustache, that is between that's the shows that are between seventy four and seventy eight. And Haldi again at that time. Bert Reynolds and Tom Selleck were very, very popular. So he, says, and so he said, why don't you try growing a mustache, which I did. And that actually balanced out the glasses yeah, and the did. hair and the face a lot better oh, yeah. than the unshaven. So if you see me unshaven, that's before 19, mid-1978. It's early night, Al. Well, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of my granddaughters have never seen me without the mustache. Uh-huh. And so oh, that was it. Thank you, Dave Wagstaff and yeah. John Haldy.
0: Yeah, those those two guys. Seriously, I mean, just just listening to what you just told me in respects of the history, uh, kind of uh, geniuses mm-hmm. as, as far as knowing and and being and, and having the pulse of, of what was at that time pop culture. You know, I mean, as far as you know, grow the mustache, Burt Reynolds, Tom Selleck are huge. Let's do that. Let's go with that and yeah. they
2: listen to the audience they listened to the people who named Fritz the Night right. which was yeah. awesome
1: at that time John Haldy, the program director actually created programs he had he created The Judge he created On the Road with Dan Immel. he created uh, so many shows on Channel 10
0: There were so many shows like that I, yeah. I remember The Judge I remember The Judge it was it was I was on
1: The Judge many times as a juvenile delinquent Get out really Yeah absolutely and my wife was always cast as the slut next door <laughs> <laughs> and the amazing thing was my mother my mother would tell the ladies and i la-
0: told you she was a slut yeah what's amazing
2: is these are all one of a kind stories i've never heard oh man so that's whiskey awesome. business premieres right here oh
1: that's well, awesome the, the amazing thing about television is My mother would tell the ladies, my mother would tell the ladies at her ladies' club that, well, my daughter in law is going to be on television on The Judge, blah, 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 blah. My (laughs) wife would be on there as the shady lady, and these ladies in my mother's club thought, well, how could you have a daughter in law like that? And when I played like a juvenile delinquent, a lot of, well, what is wrong with your son? Is he still in jail? (laughs) And (laughs) they believed it. They believed it, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and I'm going to go back to the dopers. The dopers got a movie. They got some special effects, and they got jazz music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you've always been a jazz a jazz fan. I mean, was that your thing?
1: Well, when I was growing up in the 40s, I mean, big band jazz was the popular music, and I mean, any guy could tell you who the trumpet section or the 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 sax section of the billy Eckstein big band or benny goodman big band or tommy dorsey big band they could where, where sinatra started mm-hmm. well actually sinatra was with harry james first right and it was a thing that all of us knew those people like people now can tell you who was in the original guns and roses and uh etc cetera, etc cetera. but so so jazz was a big thing and then when i moved to baltimore maryland uh it was a very they had uh, black radio stations, which played a lot of jazz and rhythm and blues, and uh, I just loved that sound, and so that's where I learned, and, and uh, Baltimore was a good jazz town, so that guys like Charlie Parker and Miles Davis and uh, Houston Person and uh, Long Tall Dexter Gordon, those guys would show up for live shows, and my army buddies would uh, take me to see them. So I sort of grew up with it, simply because that's the music that was popular for a lot of people then.
0: I'm going to jump ahead. Mike, get the mic back there. for Mike, get the mic. I get the mic. Right, mike got the mic. How many years now with the newest, our, our latest uh, incarnation of Night Owl Theater? How many years have so we So we've been doing
2: about? Night Owl Theater. We're celebrating uh, the seven-year itch.
0: Seven, <laughs> but we are seven, years? seven, years. Uh, seven Halloween,
2: years. Halloween of 2010 was our launch. Okay, Halloween so of Halloween 2010. So Halloween of this year is officially seven. Seven years. Seven,
0: yeah. And for those of you listening in the Columbus, Ohio area um, – Night Owl Theater, uh, for the last, I don't know, three, four years, at the Ohio Theater, Fritz has been the host of their Fright Night. Fright Night Friday. With Fright Night, the Friday, Night Friday, and yeah. Fritz would come out and introduce the movies. Yeah. This year, we're happy to say that Fright Night will actually be a Night Owl version of of the
2: shining this is amazing to be able to show an audience of approximately 900 people that is not a stretch i counted last year uh but 900 people to show them what we do uh month to month because the biggest thing with this show the biggest misconception that we get is everyone to this day some of my best friends who have never been swear that, oh, that's the live event with Fritz the Night Out where he gets up and says, welcome to the Lost Boys. Here's the Lost Boys. Right. And it is so tough to have worked our asses off shooting, uh, what, seven times 50-something. That's That's a lot. That's how many segments we've made. That's a lot. From scratch on green screen, all effects. However, uh, this show is our chance to show people that Fritz can do more than get up on a stage and say "Welcome to Dracula." Here's Dracula
0: which, which, really trust me, great. I mean, he's been invited back oh, for yeah, that yeah. for that simple reason. He, oh, the last few years, yeah. people love to see Fritz. Now you get to see Fritz and see Fritz yes. do what he does best. As it's the almost night owl. like
2: meeting a musician you like a lot and getting to shake their hand and get their autograph. Right. That's fun, but when you get to see them perform too. That's awesome. So now yeah, you're going to
0: see the yeah. Night Owl version of The Shining, which, as Mikey said earlier, uncut. That's right. As it, as it no don't worry, but you're all going to see the Night Owl segments like you did back in the day. You'll see the retro commercials. So you're going to experience Night Owl Theater at the Ohio Theater on Friday, July the 7th. July the 7th at
2: 7.30 p.m. Tickets are only $4. Yeah. I, know,
0: I believe $5 maybe. No, anyway, it doesn't it, matter. it's cheap. It's, it's, <laughs> it's well worth the price of admission. I want to just yep. make Columbus audiences aware of the fact that uh that that will be happening
1: Friday uh, July 7th.
0: And I also want to just with uh, a beam of pride if I uh as the executive producer, the guy that pays the bills and so forth, you'll be seeing the Emmy Award winning Night Owl Theater which has uh uh picked up 3 Emmys in the last few years ever since we started submitting for Emmys two for your host Fritz the Night Owl and one for the director Mike McGrainer couldn't be more proud of you guys that's just terrific that's that says something does it not it i mean what it does is it
2: it validates. it validates me being this geek and always wondering like...
0: I don't know if it validates you being a geek. No, but here's the thing. I mean, it, validates you it, makes, being, it validates you being you a good know. writer, a good director, and a very good creative person. You're always going to be a geek. But you, <laughs> And I'm always going to be a geek. But you know
2: that most of my life, uh, the one thing Dino knows about me that a lot of people don't is I get very obsessive. And when I want to do something, it's a focus that I never let go of. Receiving an Emmy for this. Now nah, I couldn't have been more proud of you guys. Basically, it, 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 that question in your head when you're a creative person at all is, am I obsessing or am I actually making something that anyone gives a shit about? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool to receive that to know, oh, people give
0: a shit.
1: And I should mention that one of the nice things about winning an Emmy is that you are judged by people in the business. It's not a popularity contest. It is a thing like the directors are judged by people who are directors. Right. The talent like myself is judged by people who are talent, the music, you know. And so it's people in the business who know the business and who know the techniques and know the work. When you get an Emmy from them, it's as I say it, it's not like a popularity contest where mm-hmm. people uh, uh you're getting acknowledgement from your peers who know what it is to be a great director and so forth.
0: So with the two Emmys that you've won recently for Night Owl, how, what's that
1: bring your Emmy total to there, Fritz? I have a total of seven. Seven but now. you must remember that out of those seven Emmys that was nominated maybe 20 times and I maybe submitted 30 times and there were times that I wasn't nominated. So I've been around the block about being nominated and not winning. I've been around the block about not being nominated at all. And I've been around the block of winning seven out of God knows how many submissions.
0: And for those of you who are doing the math at home, seven Emmys and we talked about when a night owl came on the air when it went off the air when it came back into Columbus theaters, so Fritz if you will do me the honor, please tell our audience. How old are you?
1: I'm 41 <laughs> The second time around I let the math majors figure it out
0: 82 years old yes god bless
1: one of the nice things about that though is one of of the one of the amazing things about
0: that the people are listening right now and are hearing like what 82 years old and still knocking it the fuck out of the park
1: well that's that's very gratifying but one of the as i say there ain't a lot of advantages to being into geezerdom but on the other hand i grew up during the big band era, the golden age of comic books, the birth of Batman, Captain Marvel, Superman, the Human Torch, the originals. And I was able to keep track of the music when it went from the big band and the Sinatra and the crooning and that kind of thing into where it went into rock and roll and uh, jazz and so forth like that, and then into hard rock and um, country and uh, um, um, punk rock and everything. And the movie's the same way is I can, talk about, I can talk about Joan Crawford and Matthew McConaughey, mm-hmm. knowing who all of them are.
0: You, my friend, are an original. You're a classic. You're iconic. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of a whiskey business. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me in this watershed distillery bottle of gin in bourbon barrels so we we went off the whiskey business path a little bit but it was pretty damn good wc fields
1: would have loved this uh, he, as does the owl
0: <laughs> as does the owl
1: so thank you thank my you my pleasure fritz
0: Perenboom, aka the night owl thank you mike mcgrainer as well so mike tell the people how they can get anything and everything associated with night owl theater and fritz
2: People can check out our upcoming shows and appearances at www.fritzlives.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Night Owl Theater. That's
0: N-I-T-E-O-W-L-T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Thank you, everybody out there who uh, continue to listen and increase our listenership here at Whiskey Business. So let me say this in closing, like I always do, never written down, so I always remember half of it. I first want to thank Greg Hansberry, our producer, for always doing a stellar job of putting this thing together. And uh, Whiskey Business is a Never the Luck production recorded with the cooperation of the Columbus Radio Group. All the opinions are those of your host and my reluctant guests and are never meant to offend, only to educate and, if possible, on any given night, entertain. So, until the next bottle, see ya.